Charles Swindoll wrote the book, Strike the Original Match. And in the book, he tells the story of a little four-year-old girl named Susie. She has just heard for the first time in her life the story of Snow White. Everybody knows the story of Snow White. She can hardly wait to get home. And with wide-eyed amazement, as she bursts through that door, she says, Mommy, you're not going to believe the story. So she recites the story to her, including the part where Prince Charming comes on that white stallion and gets off and plants that kiss on Snow White and brings her back to life. And, Mommy, do you know what happens next? And Mother, with a smile, says, Yes. And they lived happily ever after. Nah, Susie frowned. They got married. (laughs) Come on, Susie. You got a problem with marriage? Girl, give us a break. So I went to Google. I said, hey, yo, Google, is Susie right? Do we, have, do we have a problem with marriage? And Google started kicking up some numbers for me. In America, only America, every 36 seconds, there is a divorce. Whoa. That's almost 2,400 a day. That's 16,800 a week. That's 876,000 divorces a year. And get this, for first marriages, the rate of divorce is 41%. And they lived happily ever after. Nah, they got married. Maybe that little girl is onto something. What's up with this? You know, obviously, it's a very complicated business, this business of marriage. I mean, given the fact that there are huge differences between men and women, I mean, we know them, huge differences. Why wouldn't that be a big challenge? I like the way Jennifer Jill Schwartzer describes these differences. I think she kind of nailed it on the head. Let me put it on the screen for you. Jennifer Schwartzer, women are like the remote control. All right, guys, listen to this. Women are like the remote control. Men cannot figure out how they work, but they keep pushing the buttons. I mean, is that it or what? It just can't figure it out. Okay, turn around is fair play. So she says, okay, let's talk about men. Men are like Ziploc bags. They hold everything in, but you can still see straight through them. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> the differences between men and women. Come on, we were created to be different. Let's not be too hard on ourselves. But maybe that's the challenge with this, and they lived happily ever after business. Roommates. Bad dates. And soulmates. Come on, there's got to be a better way. I'm going to invite you to open up your book. Did you bring the Bible with you? Didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you because you need to see this. As far as I'm concerned, this is, a, this is one of the most moving depictions of what it means to be a soulmate. What does it mean to be a soulmate? Open your Bible to that ancient book, Ecclesiastes. It's really hard to find. So if you have a Bible, you got to go to the middle, and that would be Psalms, and then you go to Proverbs, and then you get to Ecclesiastes, written by the same wise at one time, King Solomon. All right? So let's go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, let's drop down to chapter 4. Let's just take a look. Soulmates, what are they all about? Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, I'm in the NIV. Two are better than one. Hit the pause button right there. Two are better than one. Because guess what? Even Solomon knew one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. He says two 
are better than one. Now, remember, this is the same, this is the same Solomon who we, we learned about a little earlier in this miniseries. This is the same Solomon who had 700 wives. Remember that? 700 wives and 300 concubines. The little boy thought they were porcupines. 300 of them. This is the same Solomon, only he's much jaded now. When he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, he has crested, he has peaked, and he's on the downward slope toward the end. And now he's just kind of brooding. Two, two are better than one. You know what? I guess it's true. Better, two, two are better than 700. Two are better than 300. Two are better than one. Two, two. And then he puts together four very practical reasons why two are better than one. And you've got to see these reasons for yourself. Okay, so grab the study guide. There should be a study guide tucked, tucked in that worship bulletin somewhere. You didn't get a study guide? Where, where are our friendly ushers? They're ready to go. Hold your hand up. You've got to get this study guide. You've got to get it up in the balcony. Those of you watching on uh, live streaming right now, you have the study guide right where you're at. If you're watching on television right now, go to our website. Let's put it on the screen for you, www.newperceptions.tv. You're looking for a little mini-series called Roommates, Bad Dates, and Soulmates. This is part three. We're wrapping it up. It ends right now. You go to part three, you click on the study guide, you'll have the identical study guide. Four very practical reasons why two are better than one. Let's go. Let's read verse nine again. On the screen as well, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Would you jot this down, please? Reason number one, two are better than one because you have someone to share the cost. We can call it financial benefit. Come on, this, this just makes sense. I mean, in, this, in the uh, rising cost of living these days from a purely pragmatic, purely economic perspective, two are better than one. So you go to the website, Money Under 30. So you have to be under 30 to get the money on this website, moneyunder30.com. They write the financial benefits of marriage on the screen. Research has shown the financial benefits. There really is a lift. The financial benefits of marriage. Long-term marriage offers a 77% better rate of return than staying single. And total wealth of married persons increases 16% year over year. In other words, jot this down, the longer you are married, the more money you make, theoretically. All right, theoretically, because some of you are saying, man, that ain't true. Uh, it's not, not with our marriage. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. In other words, the longer you're married, the more money you may keep reading. If this was the reported returns on a stock growth fund, we'd all be jumping in, right? Man, you got returns like this? Let, get, let me in on the ground floor of that IPO. But listen, folks, we're not talking about uh, how to be great business partners. No, we're talking about soulmates. And Solomon says, reason number one is, look, at you have someone to share the cost. Here comes reason number two. Let's read that. that that's the next verse. That would be verse 10. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Jot it down. Reason number two, two are better than one because you have someone to help you up. That's called emotional benefit. You ever see a turtle and you're walking in the woods and you see a turtle on the path and the turtle is on his back, on his shell, and those wrinkly legs are just clawing the air because he can't get himself up. You are like that turtle and so am I. We have to have somebody help us up. We were created to sit by the fire and warm our hearts in the presence of someone. Yeah, this is emotional help. We got to have it. 
All right, but there's, there are four of these. Here comes number three. What is this? This is verse 11. Also, oh, Solomon says, I got third practical reason. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Well, a very fair point. Let's call this a physical, physical benefit. Two are better than one because you have someone to keep you warm. Hey, you can go to Google and type in marriage and physical effects. And guys, I'm getting a little bit of a ring, ring on this. Bless you. You type in marriage and uh, physical benefits. There are a thousand studies out there. You'll see. I was reading News, News, Newsweek magazine, and I read a piece where they're discussing marriage and how it affects us physically and actually increases our longevity. The next week, I tell you the truth, someone wrote into the editor, editor, I read the letter, tore it out. It's a man. He's writing. And I'm quoting it because I have it. The, the University of California, San Francisco study you reported on in your article for longer life, take a wife, is wrong. Married men don't live longer than unmarried men. It just seems that way. Can you believe that? Yes. Solomon is making a case for soulmates. He says, I got one more for you. Let's read it here. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Two are better than one. Jot it down because you have someone to help you fight. That would be a security benefit. Most battles are lost when you have no one to help you fight. When you're fighting alone, that's when the battle's lost. You know as a little kid that when you were on that recess playground, if you had your older brother somewhere nearby, I don't care what that bully says, your brother can step up and whoop him. When you know you have somebody, you do so much better. Yeah, that's what Solomon says. Four practical reasons why two are better than one. Yeah, but Dwight, time out, time out. Come on, Dwight. Is he talking about friendship or marriage? Is there a difference? Or maybe that's our problem. Like little Susie who was disillusioned. Like jaded Solomon, maybe we're not sure that this living happily ever after business has to do with friendships, has to do with relationships, really does have to do with marriages. Ah. Well, I want to tell you something, Dwight, and I hope you're listening to me, boy. I watched my parents go through hell with their divorce. It was messy. It was painful. We were the walking wounded. And if you're telling me that I got to sign up for that all over again, not in a thousand years will I make a commitment. Not like that. And you know what, my friend? Guess what? You just made a hugely fair point. I acknowledge that. Some of you here, and I've heard the stories. Some of you here have experienced a painful, dysfunctional marriage, whether as a kid growing up in your parents' home, or as you surviving a marriage long ago, or surviving a marriage right now. And, and that's one of the things that pastor's heart just says, man, I don't want this to start ganging up and making people feel guilty or feeling bad about what they're in right now. Nobody intends that. But I need to say this, in all fairness. There are some very beautiful, wonderful marriages on this planet. In fact, don't tell anybody, but you are surrounded right now by some of them. 
So we got to find out what is the difference? What, what is the key between hell on earth and heaven on earth? There's a wonderful love story that most people have never heard in their lives, and I'm going to tell it to you right now in the Reader's Digest form. It's the story of C.S. Lewis, a confirmed bachelor who had no plans to ever, ever read my lips, Mary. Uh, Les and Leslie Parrott in their, their wonderful book, they share a few of the highlights. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass them on to you. So I'm quoting the, the Parrots right now. He was a scruffy old Oxford bachelor university, a Christian apologist, and an author of best-selling books for children. Everybody knows Narnia, right? Narnia, Narnia, Narnia. We all know it. And she was an American, much younger, and divorced with two sons. Whoa. Back in 1952, she happened to make a trip to England. She bumped into C.S. Lewis, don't ask me how, and a friendship formed. She comes back across the pond, which is what they call the Atlantic, back to the States, but they begin to correspond. And as they intellectually iron sharpening iron, as they correspond, sparks are flying, intellectual sparks, and there's something happening in their minds as they're drawn to each other. You guessed it. Joy finally moves to England with her boys. And that proximity just deepens the friendship. But then there's trouble because Joy runs out of funds and she has days left on the visitor's visa. So C.S. Lewis makes a decision. He's going to help this woman. He says, listen, you marry me. I'll give you rights to be living in this, in this country. And that's what she did. And she stayed. But as the parents write, Something's going on in her body that nobody knew. Let me read this to you. In the, early in the marriage, Joy's body revealed a secret it had kept, kept hidden. She had cancer, and it was irreversible. The well-ordered life of C.S. Lewis suffered a meltdown, but in the process, the English man of letters realized how deep his love for Joy really was. C.S. Lewis would later write these words on the screen, we feasted on love. Oh, I love this. We feasted on love, every mode of it, Solomon, Mary, romantic and realistic, sometimes as dramatic as a thunderstorm, sometimes comfortable and unemphatic as putting on your soft slippers. She was my pupil and my teacher, my sub and my sovereign, my trusty comrade, friend, shipmate, fellow soldier, my mistress, but at the same time, all that any man friend has ever been to me, end quote. Can you be married and be friends? Are you kidding? Of course. Two are very much better than one for some. So anyway, they gave, they gave Joy the best medical treatment that was offered at that time. They brought her home. C.S. Lewis was committed to her care. Her, her remission was short-lived. Near death, now I'm quoting, near death, the parrots, near death, Joy told him, you have made me happy. And then, a little while later, I am at peace with God. He led that woman to God and fell in love with her. Joy died at 10.15 that evening in 1960. She smiled, Lewis later recalled, but not at me. 
God. Then Les and Leslie Parrott, they, they observe on the screen now. You have to fill this in. If there is a lesson to be gained from this amazing love story, it must be that partners without a spiritual depth of oneness can never compete with the fullness of love that soulmates, write that down, that soulmates enjoy. Marriage, they go on, when it is healthy. That's a huge caveat. Marriage, when it is healthy has a mystical way of revealing God, a way of bringing a smiling peace to our restless hearts, end quote. It did it for C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidson. That was her name. And you know what? It could do it for you, the soulmates thing. It could do it for me. You don't have to be married to have a soulmate. You don't have to be old to develop a soulmate. You can be you right now, you and somebody else in which you develop this two and better than one idea. By the way, the research is in soulmates that find a bond in God have the strongest relationships of all, bar none. The research is in. I want you to hear how God puts it. Let's put it on the screen for us, please. This is Jeremiah 9. God's speaking here in verse 24. God says, okay, guys, I'm talking to all of you. Let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know, and that's the Hebrew word yada. They have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord. God says, yo, 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 my own time out. You want to have something to boast about? You want to have something that to put at the front of your list of reasons why I'm glad to be alive? I am that. I am that. If you will just know me, yada, know me. God takes the very same word the Bible uses to describe Adam and Eve's sexual relationship, and he says, that's how I want you to know me. I'll show you this. This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 on the screen. This is the NIV. Adam made love. Now, that word made love is actually the, the, the literal word in Hebrew is Adam knew. The old King James says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And IV reads, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. Jot this down, will you, so that you never forget it. God takes the same word for making love, yada, and declares, that's what I want in a relationship with you, the intimacy. There we go. The intimacy of a husband and a wife. I want you to know me like Adam knew Eve. Wow. Marriage is really a very big deal to God, which is why, by the way, he is so intense in his effort to defend marriage in a world that is turning it upside down. Marriage, guys, that's about you and me. You don't have to be married. That's about you and me. You and me. Whew. So would you like to be a bonded soulmate with somebody? I repeat, you don't have to marry them to become soulmates. Although if you're married, that's the right person to start with right there, okay? Now look, you got to remember this caveat. Becoming soulmates is not about sex. I know we think it is, but it's not. Alan McGinnis in that powerful book of his, The Friendship Factor, on the screen, there can be no intimacy without, and the italics are his, there can be no intimacy without conversation, end quote. Listen, guys, you can have sex without conversation. Piece of cake. 
But you can't have intimacy without conversation. For how else will you get to deeply know the person? You, you have to have communion of mind to mind and soul to soul. Now, William, by the way, did William do a great job on that children's story? I say we ought to have him every Sabbath. Yeah, he did a great job. William did the research this summer on sex, and so he sent it to me, and I got this from his research. A, a woman named Alice Freiling. Put it on the screen, please. A powerful point about intimacy. Get this. You've got to write it down. Sex is an expression of intimacy, not the means to intimacy. You don't do sex in order to become intimate. It may be expression of intimacy with a husband or wife, but you don't do it to get it. Keep reading. True intimacy springs from verbal and emotional communion. True intimacy is built on a commitment to honesty, love, and freedom. True intimacy is not primarily a sexual encounter. Intimacy, in fact, has almost nothing to do with our sex. Write that in. Organs. A prostitute may expose her body, but her relationships are hardly intimate. True or false? True. So how then can you and I become soulmates with another human being, married or not. And what is it that binds these mates, these soulmates together forever? Great question. We left off the very last line of Solomon here in Ecclesiastes 4. I want to return to that line. He's already given us the four practical reasons. Yeah, you got financial benefit. Yeah, you got emotional benefit. Yeah, you got physical benefit. Yeah, you got security benefit. But here it comes now, the, the stinger at the end. Let's read the last line of Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. Put it on the screen. Here it comes. A cord of three strands is not, what, quickly broken. In other words, two are better than one, but hold on, three are better than two. Three are better than two. Or as Solomon just wrote, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What's this aging king at the end of his life now trying to tell us? Let me show you. Let me show you. I got it right here. This is one of the beautiful crimson save that pew cords at Pioneer. Mm -hmm. This will drape over for a wedding. We'll say, oh, we're going to save that one and that one and that one or a funeral for special people. All right? This is one of those. I want to show you something very interesting about this. So this has a cord. This has a cord right here. All right? This is, this is a cord. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to twist this backwards so that I expose, I expose the cord to you so we know its composition. So I'm going to twist it backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it goes. And oh my, what do I have here? I have two strands, two little strands, but they are bound together by the third strand. Do you see that? Can you see that where you're sitting? They're bound together by the third strand. And when you have a third strand, you cannot break this cord. What's going on here? Two are better than one. Soulmate. But if you will weave into your relationship the third strand, you, you, got, you got what will last forever and ever. Wow. Isn't that something? Hey, big guy, what are you doing? Are you looking for me or you want this cord? No, you're looking for your folks. 
I hope they find you. Oh, mother, bless you. It was nice to meet your son. <laughs> anyway, kids are precious. That's what Pioneer's all about. I tell you, none of this one generation stuff. We are all generations. Why? Because this is the future. You saw that little boy. He's probably going to be a preacher someday. <laughs> so two are better than one. Yeah, but three are better than two. Do you have the third strand in your relationship, in your marriage? Hey, mother and child, do you have it? Hey, hey, a child with parents, do you have that third strand? Hey, teacher with students, do you have that third strand? Next door neighbors, do you have that third strand? Yo, golfing buddies, do you have that third stand? Stand spouses, do you have that third strand? Because a cord of three strands cannot be quickly broken. I know who that strand is. You say, Dwight, you can't tell from the context. No, but I do one plus one equals two, and I got to figure it out. Same Solomon who wrote these words back in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. We looked at this with the panel just a, a, a couple weekends ago. Put it on the screen. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. A woman must be friendly. We stopped it right there, but there's another line. Notice this. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I wonder who that friend is that sticks closer than a brother for you and me. Oh, I remember somebody who once upon a time on the eve of his death, he turned to his closest friends and he said, greater love has no one than this. Put it on the screen. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And guess what? I'm talking about you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I'm just thinking, if there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, there's a friend who lays down his life for you, there's a friend who calls you his friend, wow, that has to be the soulmate Jesus Christ himself. He, God, must be the third strand in that cord of three strands. Don't you think? Ah, he's got to be. You got to have the third strand. All right. So the big question is, come on, come on, help me out now. How do I get that third strand in my life right now? I want it for my relationships that matter to me. Great question. I'm going to invite the panel to come on up. They're going to answer this for you. Good question. How do I get the third strand? Panel, for the last time, come on up. You guys have just been super, and it's been a, an honor for me to work with you. Let's just think about this. So we're the Collegiate Council, right? There are four of our members who are not standing here right now. But while we were seven this last spring, you put, a, you put, a, you put a, a survey together. True? Yeah. You said, we got to find out the felt needs, because are we scratching where people are itching? And then we went to, uh, we went to Steve Yeagley and uh, Student Life, and we said, hey, can we run? He said, let me see the survey. Yeah, oh, that's good. You can do it. I went to Dwayne McBride afterwards. I said, we got 317 responses of an email to every student. And Dwayne said, man, that's rock solid. That's rock solid representation. Good. The numero uno. Anybody here speak Spanish? <laughs> the numero uno felt need of Andrews University students on this campus. Rebecca, what was it? How to grow a relationship with God. I could not believe it. I just blown out of the water. When I looked at the computerized tabulations, the number one, they talked about finances. That's a big one. They talked about families, relationships. But the number one. How to, how, to, how, to, how to grow a relationship with God. What Jill Swerzer calls, I like this, we'll put this on the screen. She calls this going vertical. Going vertical. How do you do that? The number one need of Andrews University students. Come on, somebody tell me. How do you go about this? Guys, uh, William, 
just thinking about going vertical. Just talk as, all three of you, just talk as students on this campus. So, come on, you guys are as busy as I know anybody to be busy on this campus. How do you keep going vertical? What, 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 what do you do? Come on. I mean, I love using the symbol of the cross. The cross has vertical and it has horizontal, right? Yeah. And as we commune with people horizontally, we make time for them. It's the same way with going vertical. You just have to make time for our Savior. Mm-hmm. So you got to make time. Alex, what about you? For me, it's all about my prayer life in the sense of how do I commune with God, but then also how do I commune with Him throughout my day? Mm-hmm. Really um, wanting to have my true connection with Him all the time so mm-hmm. that I know that I'm always walking in His will, that He's always there with me, mm-hmm. that my thoughts are always His thoughts and His thoughts are always mine. I like that as well. It's good. Now, Rebecca, you're the one that actually did the study this summer on uh, romantic relationships because I knew it couldn't. Uh, and it, need, it needed to be you. Uh, so, Rebecca, I'm looking at this research paper, so I have it in my hand. You did, you did very well. This idea of pursuing, come on, unpack this for us. This pursuing. So a guy, a guy on this campus pursues a girl, or a girl, in the, in the, you know, a girl can pursue a guy. What's all this saying? I think let's take uh, steps back and just think about Jesus first, right? Yes. So when Jesus came... He didn't pursue power or authority or riches. He pursued people. And he didn't want anything in return. He pursued them with compassion. And I think about just pursuing in our relationships too, whether we're pursuing someone or someone's pursuing us, mm-hmm. it's to remember how Jesus pursued us too. Mm-hmm. And there are some indicators that the yeah, research talked those. about. I thought those were dynamite. So, so these are people that are trying to build a, a, a soulmate relationship. They're kind of in this dating relationship now. Those indicators. Share them, please. It says they are present when they are with you. The person is present, focused exactly. in on you. Okay. They ask about your needs and preferences. Okay. And this third one, they pray for you daily or with you. They listen and remember what you said. Let's go back to that one you just read. They pray for you daily. In other mm-hmm. words, the uh, third strand is a big deal. It's a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to the one who's pursuing you. Exactly. There is someone else in the picture, okay. and that is God. And right. the last one, it says, they share you with others and are excited to bring you along. Yeah. And I think about bringing you along the journey. And so Jesus... Before he pursued people, the first thing that he did, and Ellen White talks about this so many times, he pursued the father first. Mm. Early morning, he goes away by himself, or whenever he found the time, as William mentioned, he pursued God first, Mm -hmm. and now he then is able to overflow in his other relationships with people. Mm. So being mindful, I guess mindful of ourselves and thinking, is the person that's pursuing me or the person that I'm pursuing putting God first in their life as well? Are they pursuing Jesus first? Only then can they truly pursue the way God intended relationships to be. And I want to say one thing really quick is one last thing that the research was talking about is to be mindful of our worth. And it says, it says date someone, but I want to say be with people. Okay. Whatever relationship you're in, be with people that will remind you of your worth in the eyes of Jesus. Oh, that's a huge one because that brings that, that brings that third strand right into that dating relationship. It's not about what you and me can get out of each other. That it, it, it is this third strand person is it, who's our soulmate. Oh, I like that. Rebecca, thanks for thinking of that. Uh, so, guys, we, we, we did a little bit of talking uh, this last winter about our own journeys. We came for these three R's. Let's just do the three R's and then we'll put a wrap on this uh, moment. Okay, so, uh, William, let's start with you. First R. Read. 
Read. Okay, so they're they're putting it up. I threw you a curve, didn't I? You thought you were gonna be last. Yeah, I did. No, <laughs> I had to think about it for a sec. Uh, read. Okay. Read. So I mean, what, it, it so, works. So, so you talked about your prayer life. Uh, so, so what is your prayer life? Reading is a part of it. Of course, reading. And you know, there's that I I encourage myself to do every day, and I actually pray for for the desire to read because it's so easy to to lose that desire. So we actually, I, I actually pray for Jesus to give me the desire every morning. Mm-hmm. But in those places where, those times where I, the desire feels like it's not there, mm-hmm. I, I have a, I guess what I say is find something that makes that relationship personal, more personal, something unique between you and God. And for me, it's praise. So when I, when I need to encourage myself to read more, I, I praise spontaneously. Yeah. Just whatever comes to the heart just comes out. And it re- it fits you, you yes. and your soulmate. Yeah. yeah, Alex, second R. The second R is reflect, and that's really as we read and as we look into the Bible of how can we be connected with the people that we are reading about, and how can that be applied to our lives. I think often about how I want to try to have my life be like Enoch's, so much so that it says in the Bible that he walked with God yep. and then he was no more on this earth. Mm-hmm. I want to in my reflection of what God is showing me, mm-hmm. have that same type of mentality and that same type of thought. That's good, good. There's one more R, Rebecca. And the last and third R is respond. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but there are, as we said, there are so many ways that you can respond to what God has blessed you with in your relationship with him. It could be through music, it could be through worship, and sometimes it could even just be writing it down mm-hmm. somewhere just for you to read, or it could be responding in a way of sharing what God has told you that very day and you know he maybe he wants you to share that with somebody else and that's another way mm-hmm. of responding beautiful you know what guys i'm really proud of the three of you and the others as well for the way you go vertical just keep going vertical that's where influence happens on this campus thank you very much for being a part of the team put your hands together these guys have just done dynamite dynamite for us Let me read a story to you in in conclusion. Title of the headline, Death Could Not Part Them. Joseph H. Berghaus, 74, had cared for his disabled wife for years, some say as long as 40 years, bathing her, dressing her. Each evening, he had provided her with her only contact with the world. He paid a a neighbor to watch over her during the eight hours he had to work at the maintenance job in San Gabriel, California. But each evening, he would lift her into their car for an evening out. They liked to watch people doing things they could not do, like bowling. Upon retirement 10 years ago, Joseph devoted full time to meeting the needs of his paralyzed wife, Mary. They really were named Joseph and Mary. They had lived in the same modest apartment for 20 years. The neighbors said she was afflicted right after their marriage. 40 years paralyzed. Wow. So Joseph and Mary were a familiar sight at recreation centers. They sat quietly just watching. Mary could not make a sound because of her paralysis, but the beauty in her smile revealed her contentment in spite of a major handicap. Yesterday, a neighbor noticed their house was quiet, too quiet now for for a whole week. With no response at the door, the police are called. Soon there were police cars, ambulances, and many curious onlookers. It was apparent that Joseph Berghaus had been stricken in the bathroom with a heart attack, then crawled toward his paralyzed wife in the bedroom. 
Ten feet from her bed, he died. She had struggled from bed and with superhuman efforts reached her husband's side, paralyzed. Unable to speak or move, she lay beside her husband for four long days, perhaps reviewing in her mind the 40 years of love he had given to her. The doctor reported her heart had stopped four days later than her husband's. Death could not part them. Two are better than one. And a cord of three strands cannot be quickly broken. When he stretched out his arms on that little mountaintop called Calvary, the, the Lord of the Crimson Cord, and he died for every sinner on this planet like you and me, when he sealed that soulmate friendship with his life and death, Jesus made a promise. And here's the promise. It's a guarantee to you. If you will include me as the third strand in your relationship, any relationship, if you will include me as the third strand, I guarantee you, you will be soulmates forever. I guarantee you. Yeah. Pull out your Connect card, please. Let's respond. Sing a song. And we leave. You see it at the bottom of the, uh, your study guard? Just pull that off. We've got guests today and are always glad to have visiting friends. So you fill the front of the card out. We all do this. Just fill up the front of the card, what you're comfortable with. Put your email address if you want one of the, uh, the uh, next steps on the back. I'll turn the card over. We call this My Next Step Today is... You see it there in the back, box number one, I want the third strand of Jesus woven into every meaningful relationship I have. Yeah, me too. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we want that? Box number two, please send me a detailed strategy on how to become a soulmate with God. So you say, man, this soulmate business, this, this, this friendship with God uh, is, um, is really outside my, my comfort zone. If you put a check mark there and an email address here, we will electronically send it to you. Nobody's going to knock at your door. We'll just send it to you, and you can examine what could it be that I could pursue that would deepen my relationship. Take on God as a soulmate. And finally, box number three. I hope to attend David Asterix's evening series next week at Pioneer, each evening at 7.30, Monday through Friday. Title of the series, Beautiful and Believable. If you're around in the mornings, he's going to be speaking here to the, to the college campus. He'll be doing the same in the evening, but we're inviting the community. So some of you have come three times in a row. Man, I've never been in this church, but here I am three times in a row. Listen, you want something special. Dave happens to be a personal friend of mine. The guy can preach like nobody else. He, he, you'll get blessed. Just trust me. You'll get blessed. So he's going to preach starting right here, 7.30 uh, Monday evening. Can't come till next Saturday. That's okay. He'll be preaching then. You'll get blessed. Keep taking the next step as God keeps directing your steps. And make sure you have that soulmate. We've got to have the soulmate. Come on, ushers, let's receive our, our connect cards and our tithes and offerings. Let's sing about the soulmate. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Let's sing about that and... We'll stand for the last stanza. All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll sing.